Well, good evening, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. And uh, it's hard to believe, but uh, April 21st, April's almost over. We're almost into May, and we're past the halfway point in our count to Pentecost. And for those of us here locally, Pastor Murray has been taking us through the count, and we're very grateful for that. We're also up to Isaiah chapter 10. Uh, it's an interesting chapter. We'll open with a word of prayer, and then let's get into the study for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, our loving God, we, we come before your throne of mercy. Uh, ever so grateful, Father, for what you've given us, this, this tremendous gift of your Holy Spirit coming to us from the tremendous gift of the sacrifice of Christ. And with all of that, Father, a love and appreciation for your Holy Word and, and deepening understanding of your Word thousands of years old, and yet it's a light unto our path here in this uh, modern world, in this chaotic world. We just thank you so much, Father, that despite all the chaos, we do have an anchor of the soul and a rock upon which we can build our houses. Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So we're up to Isaiah uh, chapter 10, and we were going to have, uh, or we are going to have, God willing, a Q&A, a live Q&A. We like to do that um, next week, the last uh, Wednesday of the month. I think on Sabbath we announced that uh, we would have it this week. But well, if you did have questions already, please uh, come with them, uh, God willing, next week. If you want to send them to us ahead of time, that's fine too. We've already gotten a couple of questions that have come in. Uh, one from a brother out on the East Coast, a lovely email, and I'm sorry, uh, my brother, a sea breeze, haven't had a chance to respond to yet, but certainly appreciate uh, your message and just, again, the, the, the loving, brotherly attitude with which it was written. Uh, it's hard for me to respond to every email, but we certainly will respond to your questions next week, God willing. And uh, also, uh, Brother Stefan, uh, just a lovely message that I received from you, my brother, and appreciate that and uh, also we'll seek to uh, address that as well, God willing, next week. Let's get into our study for this evening, which is Isaiah chapter 10. And uh, as I like to do, I just want to go back one verse and pick up uh, from chapter 9. So let's do that. And here, uh, what we see as we look to Isaiah chapter 10... We'll just go back to the last verse of chapter 9. Manasseh, Ephraim, and Ephraim, Manasseh, and they together shall be against Judah. So there, there's conflict between Ephraim and Manasseh, and, uh, and Ephraim, Manasseh and Ephraim, there's conflict there, but not so great that they can't join together to have conflict against Judah. You know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, so they both are in collusion and cooperation and collaboration against Judah. And what a disaster. It, here are God's people in the promised land, Moses giving them all this great instruction, Joshua taking them into the promised land, and this is what it has descended into, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, we can look at these ancient Israelites and just think, wow, what, what, what were they thinking? What was on their mind? Uh, the church is no different. Here we are, uh, we'll call us the, the modern Israelites, and uh, there was a whole vision that God had for the church and that Christ had for the church, and, and where are we now? And the prophecy is that brother shall betray brother. 
and and you know it's written it's here we know it's coming and yet we see it like what well, why don't brethren read the text and say i don't want that i you know god forbid that i should be that instead they just go headlong into it i don't understand it um you know may god help us and then we see this statement and it came up several times in chapter 9 it's going to come up again in chapter 10 for all this his anger is not turned away but his hand is stretched out still and we looked at the complete jewish bible and how they translated the hebrew and and their take on this is you know for all this chaos and and uh, blasphemy and and uh, rebelliousness the anger of the lord is not turned away and his hand is still outstretched to punish them so so punishment is coming that's how they interpreted it and i took issue with that and said i i didn't see this i didn't agree i'm not saying my the, my interpretation is correct i just think there's a stronger case to be made for the king james translation that there's this duality there's this this balance of wrath and mercy that for all this his anger is not turned away so so they have to be subject to that curse that we saw in Isaiah 6 that Christ came and confirmed and validated that these people will remain deaf dumb and blind and and the truth will be hidden from them so that the curses of the covenant can be upon them and then Isaiah asked well for how long it's not for it's not indefinite it's not forever it's not it's not the just complete uh, annihilation of this people it's until the abomination that makes desolate and then the blindness will be lifted and so there will be mercy for these people and i think that notion of the covenant includes both destruction god has to be faithful to the covenant and therefore there will be destruction but the covenant also includes mercy because it's a covenant he's in co- he's in he's in an eternal covenant with abraham isaac and jacob with the fathers and therefore he he cannot uh, satan is working all he can to eliminate this people but god will not allow it because he's a god of covenant and so i think this this uh for all this his anger is not turned away but his hand is stretched out still is a very powerful encapsulation of the covenant now supporting this if i could just make the case a little bit more the 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 naming of the children of isaiah so he says in chapter 8 verse 3 that he had relations with his wife and she conceived and bare a son and yehova said to me call his name maher shalal hashbaz which basically means the 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 spoil is coming fast the the the, the terror on the prey is coming without without uh, delay that's what destruction is coming immediately that's what that means so there we have his wrath he has another child that we saw in the previous chapter uh, verse 3 of chapter 7 then said yehova unto isaiah go forth now to meet ahaz you and share yeshuv your son and so share yeshuv means a remnant shall return and i think when you have these two boys in front of isaiah maher shalal hashbaz his for all this his wrath is not turned away maher shalal hashbaz yet his hand is stretched out still in mercy share yeshuv that even though this maher shalal hashbaz is coming it's coming fast it's going to completely destroy these people share yeshuv that there's still mercy 
and a remnant in all of this destruction, a remnant shall return. So that's another argument. And, and sort of reinforcing that is Emmanuel. And the reason for all of this is Emmanuel. God is with us. So let's go now to the New Testament, Romans 10, where we see this same concept and notion addressed by the Apostle Paul. In Romans 10 and verse 20, again, speaking of Isaiah, he says, but Isaiah is very bold and says, speaking to Israel, I was found of them that sought me not. So here, mercy is going to be extended to the Gentiles. I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he says, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So how do we interpret this when the Apostle Paul is referencing it? And we'd have to read his whole argument. But his whole argument to the Gentile Christians is, God has not forsaken Israel. That yes, Israel is blinded. Yes, Israel is cursed. Yes, Israel does not have access to the gospel right now. But Isaiah, in his conflict uh, with Israel, God is saying that, yeah, they, they are disobedient, they are rebellion, rebellious, they are a gainsaying people, and yet I keep stretching forth my hand in mercy. And, and uh, Paul's argument would collapse if this was not about mercy. But the argument that he's making is, yeah, it's true, they're rebellious. And yet God continues to stretch forth his hand to them in mercy because of Paul's understanding of the covenant connection. He says... He goes on then in chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, so if we understand that all day long he's stretching forth his hand unto a rebellious and gainsaying people, well, then I say then, has God cast away his people? Isn't it obvious that there is mercy for these people? Has he cast away his people? Look, all day long he's stretching forth his hand to them. So has he cast away his people? God forbid. Yes, maher shalal hashbaz. However, share yeshuv. Has God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he makes intercession to God against Israel? I, uh, uh, Elijah cursed Israel, and he interceded with God to destroy them. He says, Lord, they have killed your prophets and dug down your altars, and I'm alone left, and, and even they're seeking my life. But what says the answer of God unto him? All day long, he's stretching forth his hand. He's not forgetting mercy. Yes, there's wrath. There's still mercy. So even as rebellious of these, as these people are, God reserves the right and intervenes to maintain a remnant. He says, what's the answer of God to him? I've reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, also, there is a remnant, Sher Yashuv. Even so, at this present time, also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There is an election of grace upon Israel. And, and Sher Yashuv, because of that election of grace, there will be a remnant that remains faithful and returns. And so there's this remnant of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Israel does not have to work 
to maintain this position that they have of being in covenant with God. Yes, they will be punished. Yes, they will be destroyed. But the covenant is the covenant. And it's, it's a covenant of, of grace, by grace. So despite their wickedness, despite their evil, they will not be written off, God forbid. So if by grace, then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So stop evaluating Judah specifically now. Stop evaluating the Jews and, and telling me how evil they are and concluding, therefore, they're cut off. You're not understanding what grace is. And you're not understanding the depth of the covenant commitment that God has. So, yeah, tell me how evil they are. I agree. Don't tell me that God has cut them off. I disagree on the strength of Scripture. What then? Israel has not obtained that which he seeks for, but the election has obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So the church, the early church, was Jewish. The majority of the Jews rejected Christ, according to the curse, but there was a remnant that accepted him and founded the church, or, or, or founded this, this new covenant phase, this first fruits phase of the church. So, yeah, they've been blinded, but yes, share Yeshuv. According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber. That's the Isaiah curse, the Isaiah curse, Isaiah 6. According as it is written, God has given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear. This is what God has done unto this day. God is the one that is blocking them. I, you know, I listen to some of these rabbis, and I'm just, I'm stunned with the, 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 the bitterness that they have toward Christ, the, the anger and the hostility that anybody would think of Christ as Messiah. It's, it's, it's just mind-boggling. But who am I to say? This is, look, it's God's operation. And God is the one that's refusing them and yet accepting us. Rather than boast against the branches and think that I'm something great, I'm just in awe. How, how, this is the miraculous, mysterious work of God. In Psalm 98 and verse 1, the psalmist says, Oh, sing unto Jehovah a new song, for he has done marvelous things. This operation of God is marvelous. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. Yes, for all this his wrath is not turned away, and yet his arm is outstretched still. There's still a relationship between the covenant people and their God. Sing unto the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things, his right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. Yehovah has made known his salvation. Now everybody sees. Think of Isaiah chapter 25. The veil is lifted not only from Israel and Judah, but from the whole, all, everybody, the whole world now sees. And Yehovah has made known to the whole world this mysterious operation of salvation. His righteousness that he will put things right according to his word. His righteousness has he openly shown in the sight of the heathen. The heathen are going to see this. This miraculous rescue of these people that for all this his wrath is not turned away. And yet with his holy arm he's going to save them. 
He has remembered his mercy, Shir Yashuv, and his truth toward the house of Israel. These evil, 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 rebellious, stiff-necked people. That's who they are. Not my opinion. I'm just reading the scripture, the text. According to the text, these people are wicked, wicked, wicked. And yet, he has remembered his mercy, Shir Yashuv, and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Something strange is happening. Something mysterious is taking place. And and that verse that's repeated over and over in chapters 9 and 10, that for all, yes, they're wicked, and for all of this wickedness, his wrath is not turned away. It's coming upon them. And yet, his hand is outstretched still because of the covenant. So, with that backdrop then, and again, if you have questions, want to talk a bit more about this, uh, Pastor Murray is going to join me next week, and we're going to just have a, a very good conversation. This is uh, the, the weight of the evidence to me. And, and, you know, when we're interpreting or translating, when the translators are translating from one language to another, it's a very difficult task. It's, it's like um, whatever the shape of one language is, it's as a container of meaning. When you try to take the meaning out of that container and put it in another language, another container that has a completely different shape, it's almost impossible to get it to fit. So, so stuff falls out and there are gaps and, and you have to put other stuff in there to fill the gaps. And, and now, even though we call it the King James Bible, and I love the King James Bible, it's not the Bible. The King James Bible is not the Bible. It is a best effort translation of the Bible. And so we need to be sensitive to that. And so as these best efforts are doing their best to translate the the Hebrew into the English, they're making decisions, they're making judgments, they're trying to make some good, good best guesses as to how to do this. But, you know, this sort of word for word uh, can get us into trouble. Yes, we do word for word, but we also look at the whole scroll. What is the message of the whole scroll of Isaiah? How does it open? What does it mean to go from chapter one to chapter two? where these people are so cursed, so rebellious, everything about them is horrible, they must be destroyed, and yet even in the end of chapter 1, he says, yeah, but let's, let's, uh, let's look at your sins, let's reason together, and even though your sins are as red as crimson, we're going to turn them white. And then we open up in chapter 2, and suddenly the whole world is coming to Judah. These same people that we were just told how rebellious they are, suddenly the whole world is coming to them to, find, to seek the law of God. We have to have the whole context as we come into these verses. And so the weight of the evidence to me is that these people are cursed according to the covenant and God must destroy them according to the covenant, but according to the covenant that he's going to have mercy upon them. Deuteronomy 30. So now we come to chapter 10 and verse one. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees and that right grievousness which they have prescribed. So we just came out of chapter nine with Ephraim and Manasseh in conflict, but both of them joining together to have conflict against Judah, which is completely diametrically opposed to the intention that God had when he brought them into the promised land. And so clearly the the kingdoms, the kingdom in the north, utterly corrupt. And God is going to move Assyria to destroy them because of their corruption. But then Judah is no different. In fact, Judah is worse. Judah is worse, and yet because of the covenant, God does not utterly destroy Judah. He keeps that covenant connection 
with Judah. And so we know both the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south is corrupt. They're full of pride. Uh, they're so full of sin that it goes from adultery to murder, idolatry, theft, lying, everything, all every, every, all, every lawlessness is practiced in both the kingdom of the north and the kingdom of the south. And regarding these kingdoms, God says, they are cursed that decree unrighteous decrees and write grievousness which they have prescribed to turn aside the needy from judgment and to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. I can't help, I can't help but read this and think of our Western Judeo-Christian countries and governments, and, and particularly in view in high definition right now is America writing all kinds of bizarre laws and bills and doing everything to destroy, doing everything they can to destroy Western civilization. In fact, as I read this, I am very, very mindful of uh, Yuri Bezmenov. Where we are right now, as you look at all of this uh, rioting and, and uh, you know, uh, the judicial system becoming political, the police forces becoming political, uh, the, the me medical establishment becoming tyrannical. Uh, all of this brings to mind uh, Yuri Bezmenov. And this is, some, this is somebody that I've spoken of before and most people are fully aware of, where he was a KGB spy. And he showed America, he warned America, look, I understand what this is. We, have, we had an objective of global Marxist control. And we were going to go country by country and take down these countries. And at the time, we thought it was ridiculous that America could ever call, fall under Marxist control. And it's happening right before our eyes, from classical Marxism, pivoting to cultural Marxism, pivoting to postmodernism, and now really full onslaught critical theory, and particularly critical race theory. And so he says, like, this, this, this won't take us long. This will take us about 20 years. And we are so deep into this, it's, it's, I don't, it's irreversible. I know some, some of you would think, oh no, America has been through many things and we've always turned around. Uh, I don't think so. I think America is cursed. I think the Western civilizations are cursed. I think Judah is cursed. And for the curse to fully come upon Judah, America must collapse. And we are watching it in real time. We are watching in real time the collapse of America. Step one, demoralization. Educate an entire generation in Marxist ideology. All over these Western civilizations, everywhere. The people in politics, in education, in entertainment, in law, in, in, in every aspect, uh, in, in culture, in every aspect, they are immersed in Marxist ideology. And in fact, so much so that when we say Marxist, nobody cares. If you say Nazi, Oh, yeah, Nazis are bad. You say communist or Marxist, it's like, oh, it goes over their head. And I just, I, I don't know. I, I think Marxism, and I, I go back and forth. Like, What is the most vicious ideology that, that man has experienced? And I go back and forth between Marxism and Islam. Sometimes I think Islam is the most. Sometimes I think it's Marxism. 
but I, I think actually I have to lean towards Marxism because in you know a couple of hundred years, it, it has, or even just even say oh, within a hundred years, a hundred million souls have been dis mass murdered and so many more uh, just tortured and, and brought to absolute poverty and suffering. Islam over a 1400 year period has 270 million souls that it's destroyed and so many more that have been brought to poverty and slavery and suffering. So I think if you were to say, you know, um, souls murdered per decade, the math goes to Marxism. It is by far the most vicious. And so getting these uh, young minds to, to these naive minds to, to accept Marxist ideology, that was step one. And to demoralize our nations. Demoralization meaning we have no confidence in our moral codes anymore. We're, we're, we're confused. You know, sin and evil is right in front of us and we don't know what to make of it. You know, uh, sons of Belial commit all kinds of crime and corruption and they become our heroes. Oh, we want justice for the sons of Belial. Is that God's justice you want for the sons of Delial? Belial or Satan's justice? So demoralization first, followed by destabilization. We are certainly in the tail end of this to destabilize the economy, to destabilize foreign relations, and to open up our borders and to destroy our defense systems, ruin the military. You know, we had a little bit of a, a comeback, a slight comeback against this with number 45 administration, where, where he was investing in the military and closing the borders and trying to shore up the economy and, and putting foreign relations right. But that was, there was so much onslaught to get rid of him because we have a Marxist agenda and that's where we are. And now we're heading into the third phase. And this is where it becomes irreversible, crisis. Let's take away the gun. I mean, I'd never understood the, the, for the second amendment in America. I understand it now. And the founders were brilliant, but let's, let's destroy the second amendment. Let's disarm Americans, decent Americans, Christian Americans in particular, let's disarm them while we open up the borders and defund the police. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong as MS-13 and uh, uh, Islamic jihadis come pouring in across the borders and we disarm Christians and we defund the police and we, we have all this rhetoric to stir up anger and hostility and race, race uh, bigotry. What could possibly go wrong? While, while police are like, hey, I, if this is the way it's going to be, I, I'm out. I'm out. What could possibly go wrong? So crisis. And while the enemies are looking at this circus, people who hate us are watching this saying, these people are weak. We can take them. And so there's this whole period of crisis that we're heading into now. And, and let's use the uh, pandemic to crush the economy. This is where we are. This is, this is scary, scary stuff. And yet... We look at this and we understand, and we're ready. We're ready for anything, as long as we have Christ. And then finally, through the crisis, that's where, and through the postmodern redefinition of power and structure and kill the, destroy the patriarchy, finally we come into normalization, where we establish Marxist ideology. And unfortunately, many of us, many brethren, can't see this. They don't understand it. And so they are participating in this 
ideological subversion. You know, the, the, and this is sort of the power of uh, both Marxist ideology and Islamic ideology is, is moral certitude. There is nothing more powerful or more evil than people who think they're doing good when they're doing evil, when they do evil with all of the certainty of morality. And that's what all this Marxism does, and as well as Islam, it twists up people's head so they cannot tell right from wrong. That's why we stick to Torah. That's why we are wedded to Torah, and we're always going back to Torah, because that's where truth, right and wrong, is established. So this curse, which is upon Judah, but which was also upon the north, how can we think that we are going to escape this? How does this not apply to us? You can't even walk on the street without police arresting you for, for normal behavior. I've said it before. We are criminalizing normal behavior and normalizing criminal behavior. And God says, woe unto them that call good evil and evil good. Woe unto them so that the laws are changing that cause the needy to, to lose judgment. They can't get justice. So, you know, in America, let's look at America, with, with the blacks in particular, the black race in America, has been voting for this Democratic Party for decades, since Lyndon B. Johnson, who, who brought in this whole welfare system, and their plight goes from worse to worse. A lot of good rhetoric, and their plight gets worse, and their families are destroyed, and they keep voting because the welfare is nice, not realizing the destruction and the dependence that it's creating. This is very clever. And they've been out, they've outsmarted the blacks. And, and they had a little window where everybody was starting to do well. And we got rid of that window and shut it and went back to this whole uh, oppression by rhetoric. And the Republicans are no better. While all of this was happening, the Republicans had nothing to say. I, I don't speak all. I, I speak it, but it's not everybody. There's always exceptions. They sat on the, on the sidelines. They didn't mind this sort of two-party game that they were playing until now. Now they're realizing there will never be another Republican Party again. That the way things are structurally changing, it's going to be impossible for them to get back in power. Now they care. Now they're starting to fight. Too late. And now the blacks, I hope, are beginning to realize that this open border, with all these Hispanics now coming into America, that the Democrats don't need you anymore. They've been using you for decades. And now they see where you're sort of shifting and your loyalty is shifting. No problem. We will dilute your power. We, the fact that we used to depend on 95% of your vote and now that's slipping, well, we're going to bring in so many illegal immigrants and give them the right to vote that, okay, if, you, if you're not loyal to us, it won't matter. We don't care anymore. We were just using you. And all the while, the Republicans sat by and watched. The only From my view... The only person that tried to make a difference was number 45. And everybody started to have jobs and black men could marry and have respect and dignity. We didn't want that. Get rid of that. And now we're back into this oppression. So they turn aside the needy from judgment. They can't get true justice. You hear uh, Breonna Taylor's mother saying the Black Lives Matter organization is a fraud. We've seen they collected $90 million dollars. And we've seen nothing. All they did was use that money to get the Democrats back in power. What have they done for the black people? Nothing. The founder has gone in uh, big multi-million dollar mansions in white neighborhoods. Hypocrites. 
They turn aside the needy from judgment. So now people who really need judgment, they can't get it. And to take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey and they may rob the fatherless. And again, you're seeing all these people coming up from the, 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 the oppression that they have in, in, the, in South America. And they're being raped and tortured and oppressed all the way up. And then when they're actually brought into America, they're made slaves. And I, it's sensitive for me. My mother was a single mother and vulnerable. And fortunately, she, she would manage to navigate the system. But I see how single mothers can be vulnerable. And these people do not care. They have all of this rhetoric and they don't care. And fools, naive, fall for them. And so poor widows who need help, they're vulnerable. They become their prey. They prey on them and they rob the fatherless. It's incredible, the ruthlessness. So by seeing what we see today, we can only imagine what Judah was like anciently. These are the covenant people. And God is saying, this, they're going to be cursed for this. For all this, my wrath is not turned aside. And then he says, and so what will you do in the day of visitation? You think it's going to go on like this forever? You think you can just keep enriching yourself and to no end? What will you do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from far? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? So hey, explain this to me. How are you going to make out? Without me, they shall bow down under the prisoners and they shall fall under the slain. So slaughter is coming. You turn aside from God? Okay. And for all this, he says, here it is again. Because of all of this, his anger is not turned away, and yet his hand is stretched out still. As, as Paul was explaining, the Apostle Paul was explaining, it's grace. It's not works. It's grace. This is a covenant of grace. So despite all of this wickedness, which has to be punished, it has to be dealt with, there will still be a covenant people. And so he says, for all this, his anger is not turned away but his hand is stretched out still. So we're going to see this unfold now. Part A, the anger. Then we'll see part B, the mercy, the anger. O Assyrian, the rod of my anger and the staff in their hand is my indignation. So all of this corruption that you're seeing in Judah and in Israel and in the north, I am going to use the, the viciousness of the Assyrian as the rod of my anger. I, I, I'm going to whip and punish my people with the Assyrian. And this is very important to us because the Assyrian is ruthless. And this, is, this, prof, this prophecy is dual. It has an immediate application, but it also has an application to the end time. Because in the immediate application, uh, the, the king of Judah is about to experience this as uh, Ahaz wants to make an allegiance with Assyria. And, and, and the, the kings of Judah have had to deal with this. That's one thing. But the utter destruction of the Assyrian comes when Christ returns. It is Christ who destroys the Assyrian. Therefore, the Assyrian is extant at the second coming of Christ. And this is the king of the north. If, if Daniel were to be resurrected, he would be looking for the Assyrian because Assyria is north of Jerusalem. And this is the king of the north. And the king of the north is dealt with when Christ returns. And the king of the south is Egypt. 
And God makes it clear that there's going to be a highway. When he returns, there's going to be a highway from Assyria to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem to Egypt. And all of them will be finally united when his strange work is complete. And so the Assyrian is the rod of his anger. And the staff in their hand is his indignation. When you see their ruthlessness, God is using them like a puppet on a string. I, God, will send him against a hypocritical nation. And today that area is controlled by Turkey, Recep Erdogan. And whether it's him or not, but that area, this falls under Turkey, this sort of Iraq, Syria, uh, that whole area today is controlled by Turkey, what we call Turkey today. And, that, and he's developing his military prowess and powers. And he has the ideology to control all of these regions around him. And they hate, they hate, they hate Judah. And they want to destroy Judah. And God is building that up to destroy Judah. That, that's, the, that's the rod of his anger. And he's going to send him against the hypocritical nation. And before he sent him against Judah, he sent him against the north, the northern tribes of Israel. So we as these hypocritical nations, the hypocrisy, it's, it's, it's breathtaking, the hypocrisy. You know, the, the previous administration, oh, these dictator, dictator, dictator. This administration comes in, executive order after executive order after executive order. Even after saying only dictators rule by executive order. This is, hypocrisy is unbelievable. So will we escape? I will send him against a hypocritical nation. And against the people of my wrath will I give him charge. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. This is going to come fast because these people are hypocrites and they, are in, they have incurred God's wrath. In fact, he says it right here. Uh, I, I will send him against the hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey. And I guess you know what's coming here if we look at the Hebrew. If we look at the Hebrew, where it says, I'm going to send him against the people of my wrath and I will give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey. This is uh, shalal, shalal, El, uh, ul, ula, baz. This is baz, baz. So shalal, baz, shalal, baz. So spoil the spoil, take the prey. And maher just means fast. It's going to happen rapidly. So he invokes Isaiah's son's name to say, this is the wrath that's going to come upon these people. So he says, Laboz uh, Baz. And Li Shalal Shalal. So it's, it's Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So this is just, it's, it's there, but it's going to come fast, is what the, the son's name implies. So he says here, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. So this is the first, this is part A. Part A is the Maher Shalal Hashbaz, the wrath that's coming fast. Howbeit, and this is speaking now of uh, the Assyrian, howbeit, he doesn't mean this. Neither does his heart think so. In other words, he has no idea that he's a tool. He has no idea that God is picking him up like a puppet and using him. No, he doesn't mean this. He's, he's, he's not thinking the way God is thinking. Neither does his heart think so. But it, it is in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. In other words, a lot of nations. He, he, it's in his heart just to destroy and to have complete dominance over these nations. And while he's doing all of this, the last thing on his mind 
is that he's actually being used by God. That, that's the furthest thing from his mind. Because he says, are not my czars, my princes, altogether kings? The, the people who report to me, aren't they like powerful kings? And yet I'm over them. I'm, I'm the king of kings. This, this is how he thinks. And then he goes on to talk about these victories. Is not Kalno as Carchemish? Is not Hamath as Arpad? Is not Samaria as Damascus? So I've crushed these other empires. And so what's going to get in my way? Aren't, aren't these other empires like empires that I've already crushed? As my hand has found the kingdoms of the idols and whose graven images did excel them of Jerusalem and of Samaria, shall I not, as I have done unto Samaria and her idols, so do to Jerusalem and her idols. So, so God wants to use this vicious nation to destroy the north and then to come down and destroy the south. He doesn't realize he's a tool in God's hands. From his estimation, he's the king of kings. He is this global power that has control over everybody. And he's full of pride over this. And in his assessment, these kingdoms that he crushed, they had tremendous idols. They had great gods, and that didn't help them. He crushed them anyway. And then he says, you know, these kingdoms, their idols, weren't their graven images even better than Jerusalem's idols and Samaria's idols? So Judah and Samaria, or, or the north, had fallen into idolatry. And he's looking at their idols and thinking, well, I've already crushed nations that had gods like that, and their gods were even better. Therefore, it shall come to pass that when the Lord has performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, then I will punish the fruit of the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks, each in his own order. The Jew first then the Gentile. So he's saying here that this is his work. It's his operation. It's a very strange work that people don't really understand what's going on, but God is doing this. And today we have to understand what is his work? What is he doing? And we need to be behind it, supporting it, understanding it, and waiting for the Lord. So this thing where he's raising up this incredibly uh, powerful and vicious nation that is just destroying all these other nations and particularly targeting the north and then coming down to destroy the south. God is taking credit for that. For all this, you, you chose to agree to be the covenant people. You said, yes, all that the Lord has said we will do. And you entered into the covenant. And, and the, there's clauses in this covenant. And God is faithful to his word. And so this is his strange work that he has to execute upon Zion and Jerusalem. Having taken care of the north, now he must take care of Zion and Jerusalem. And it's a whole work. There's a whole operation here, it, but it's God's. And after he has done that through Assyria, then he will punish Assyria for their pride and rebellion. And this is, go back to Deuteronomy 30. It's all, Moses wrote it all there. It's exactly what Moses said, that all these curses are going to come upon you. And once that drives you to repentance and there's a remnant, 
then all these curses God is going to put on the Gentiles. And that's exactly what Isaiah is saying here. Now, this work that God is doing, Isaiah already alluded to it in chapter 5 and verse 12. You'll remember we read this. He says, the harp, the vial, the tabard, and the pipe, the wine are in their feasts. So they're, the Jews are just enjoying themselves. They've got a great, robust economy. They don't realize what's coming because they regard not the work of Jehovah. Neither do they consider the operation of his hands. God is at work. And right now he's at work. All of this chaos and turmoil, it's crazy. The world is spinning out of control. Do you think the world is completely out of control? I know you don't. But do we realize that God has a work? And this is sort of the duality of prophecy. As it was anciently, so it will be today. The only difference is Christ came so that all of these prophecies could be filled to the full. So all of this desolation, this is just a dress rehearsal for the ultimate, the ultimate great tribulation. And the abomination that makes desolate. This is going to be like no nation has ever suffered like this. Because for all of this, his wrath is not turned away. And he's not releasing them from their blindness. But for this to happen, there are things that have to happen with the nations. And we're watching. Um, I can't believe what I'm seeing in America. I'm watching the, the greatest superpower the world has ever seen dwarfs Assyria. The greatest superpower the world has ever seen collapsing past the point of, of no return. But this is part of the work in order for Jerusalem and Judah to experience the wrath of the king of Assyria and the nations under him. He says, all my princes, aren't they like kings? So he's a king of kings controlling all these nations and all with the objective in the end of Satan's objective to destroy these people entirely. And he has no idea that that's God's work. God is the one that's, that knows the pride of his heart and is able to use the pride of his heart to do his bidding. But this we have to understand. God is at work. It's a strange work, but it's his work. And then in Habakkuk, he says the same thing, this time speaking of Babylon. And as we read these prophecies in the end time, it's clear that there's a convergence between Babylon and Assyria because when Christ returns, he destroys both Babylon and Assyria simultaneously. So the, the Assyrian king says, I'm a king of kings. And therefore, we can expect that Babylon comes under Assyria in the end time. It's, it becomes part of the Assyrian empire. And Babylon is what we would call Iraq today. And the same ideology will be at play and the same hatred of the Jews. So here now, uh, we'll, you know, Assyria does not completely destroy Judah. So later now, a couple of hundred years later, he's going to rise up, raise up Babylon. But it's the, same, it's the same work. Habakkuk is seeing all of this treachery and evil within the, the Jewish community. And he says, why aren't you doing anything, God? God says, no, no, I am. I'm, I'm busy at work. I, I am, I'm definitely doing something. You're not looking in the right place. Behold you among the heathen and regard and wonder marvelously. This is going to make your head spin. And what, what is going to happen to America and Canada and Britain and Australia and all the Western nations, 
that have turned their back on the Bible. The Bible used to be the foundation of their legal system, but they're all turning their back on it in favor of Marxism. And some of us, I'm sad to say, are supporting this. It's the work of the devil, and we're supporting it. But God can use the devil. As you see here, he's using the devil here. But what is coming upon our nations is going to make our heads spin. Behold you and wonder marvelously. As you see China gaining strength, you see Turkey gaining strength, you see America, all the Western nations collapsing and encouraging, selling themselves out. Just as King Ahaz was selling himself out to Assyria, we see these Western nations selling, selling us out. And what is coming is it's going to make our heads spin. We, the, the problem we have as human beings is we don't have much of an imagination and we're not interested in history. History could help us. History could help us because history has a way of repeating itself and it sort of makes concrete things that we could never imagine. And then if we know history, we can actually say, hey, you know what? This is shaping up the same way it was before. But they take history away from us and we don't really have any imagination. And they fill us with video games and movies and, and entertainment. So we just don't think. And we are not able to go beyond the present. So the way the world works today, we just can't imagine the world working any other way. And yet what's coming is going to, this is all just going to be a distant memory. There's a whole new way that's coming after this phase three of the crisis. We're heading into crisis rioting in the streets, turmoil everywhere. Uh, everybody's upset about everything and hysterical. This is by design. So that out of it, and the postmodernists, they're all about, hey, nothing means anything and until they say what it means, because it's all a power play. And boy, oh boy, it's going to be ugly. But Isaiah says, tell the righteous it will be well with you. It's all good. It's all good. All of this is leading to opportunities for us to preach the gospel and to hear Christ when he returns say, well done, you faithful servant. What a tremendous time we live in and what a phenomenal opportunity we have. If we have courage, if we have boldness, if we are filled with the spirit and we're not cowards and hypocrites and frauds and naive, but we are Torah compliant. What an opportunity. And it just, it just saddens me when I, when, Christian brethren are tearing down their own houses and cutting the throats of their own children. Unbelievable. <clears throat> but he says here, he is going to work a work that is going to make your head spin. You won't believe it. Even if it was told to you, you won't believe it. Because I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. I'm going to raise up these, these Gentiles that are bitter and hasty. Hasty. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. It's fast. It's a whirlwind. It's going to come and our heads are going to spin. That bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. We're, we're like, we're, we're showing them everything. This is this wealthy Western civilization. We're giving it all up. And these Gentiles are looking and saying, there's a lot of wealth and power here. Let's go get us some. They're going to take what's not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. And verse 10, like Assyria, they shall scoff at the kings. I keep saying America is the greatest power that has ever been. 
these, these people that, are, that God is raising up, they're going to scoff at America. Yeah, they're laughing at us now. I say us, North, North America, laughing at us now. We, we, we're, we're clowns. We, we look like clowns on the world scene. When these bitter nations that God is raising up flex their muscle, they shall scoff at the leaders, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They'll have no respect for us. They shall deride every stronghold, and they shall heap dust and take it. And this is really targeted on Jerusalem and Judah. But in order for that, you know, if, if the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribes of Judah could have joined together in faithful Torah compliance, none of these nations would have any power over them. But they chose to deviate from Torah. They chose to betray each other, to weaken each other. And now look. And so we're in the same boat. Divide and conquer. Hey, you're a woman, be against the men. Hey, you're a child, be against the adults. Hey, you're homosexual, be against the straight. Hey, you're black, be against the white. Hey, you're white, be against black. Hey, you're Manasseh, be against Ephraim. Hey, you're Ephraim, be against Manasseh. Hey, you're Ephraim, Manasseh, be against Judah. That's how Satan works. They, sh they shall scoff at the kings and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. And they shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. These are just going to fly through the land and destroy everything. And we, God says, watch Jerusalem. Keep an eye. But that's why we're watching America, because Jerusalem is held in place because of the alliance with America. And now we have an administration that's funding the Palestinians, which is against the law. But they don't care. Funding the Palestinians, and they're going to betray Judah. And that's what we're watching. And this is what's being set up. As it was anciently, this is the pattern. Back to Isaiah 10. For he says, by the strength of my hand, I've done it. And by my wisdom, because I'm prudent. And I've removed the bounds of the people. I've done this. And I've robbed their treasures. And I've put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. I just think so wonderfully about myself. And my hand is found as a nest the riches of the people. It's like, hey, I found treasure. And as one gathers eggs that are left, I, I gathered all the earth. I'm just collecting wealth from everybody. And there was none that moved the wing or opened the mouth or nobody talked to me. I was just doing whatever I wanted and everybody just put their head down and hoped the trouble would end. They didn't want to come up against me. Who will make war with him? Then God asks, you tool, <laughs> you're a tool. Shall the ax boast itself against him that hews therewith? Don't you realize it's me swinging the Assyrian? It's me taking you and swinging you through Israel and swinging you through Judah. Don't you realize you're just a tool? Are you boasting yourself against God? This human pride is an incredible thing. Shall the axe boast itself against him that hews therewith? Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that, that shakes it? As if the rod should shake itself against them that lift it up. Or as if the staff should lift up itself as if it were no wood. Like this is madness to God. You're a tool. You're going to just pick yourself up and shake yourself against me? I'm using you. In Isaiah, now this is, he's speaking about Assyria there. You're a tool and you're, you're opposing me and you're boasting yourself against me. But that same pride that's in Assyria, it's the same pride that's in Judah. God says, and we read this when we did 2nd Isaiah 45 verse 9, Woe unto him that strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashions it, 
what are you making? Or your work? He has no hands. So this is like phenomenal. So, so the tool of Assyria is boasting against God, saying, I'm doing my own thing. And God is saying, like, you're a tool, I'm using you. But even Judah is doing the same thing. Judah is saying, God, what are you doing? And God is saying, you're the clay. I'm fashioning you. In fact, I'm using the Assyrian to fashion you. And so both the tool and the clay are arguing with God. And God is saying, look, I'll have my way. I have my operation. Back to Isaiah 10, verse 16. Therefore shall the Lord Adonai, the Adonai of Zavod, send among his fat ones, among the, the fat ones of the Assyrians, he's going to send leanness. He's going to use him, and then he's going to send leanness. And under his glory, he shall kindle a burning like the burning of a fire. So this is where we read yesterday, uh, last week, all, all of this military uh, might is just going to be burned up. And the light of Israel shall be for a fire. Now we're turning. Yes, maher shalal hashbaz, but also shir yeshuv. And so now we see the turning point of mercy. And the light of Israel shall be for a fire. So this fire, this Assyrian is going to get burned up. And the light of Israel shall be for a fire, and his holy one for a flame, and it shall burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. All this power will be burned up in a day. This happened anciently. If we see in 2 Kings 18.33, Has any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? king of Assyria was extremely powerful. And he dropped down to verse 34 here. Where are the gods of Hamath and of Arpad? These are nations that he crushed. Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hina, and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? I just had my way with all of them. Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? So he's like, he's just swept through all these nations. He's gone through the north, wiped out Samaria, Ephraim, and he's coming down now to Jerusalem. And he's saying to Jerusalem, okay, you've got your God. Do you think your God can deliver you out of my hand? Look at it. Look at the destruction in my path. Look at the wake of my destruction. Who's going to save you from me? Is the, Lord, is the Lord powerful enough, this Lord that you worship in Jerusalem? Is he powerful enough to deliver you from my hand? And then Hezekiah, his Kiahu, he sent to Eliakim, which was over the household. And Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priest covered with sackcloth. He sent them to Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amoz. And so they're, they're saying, Isaiah, what should we do? And Isaiah said unto them, thus shall you say to your master. So go back to his kiahu. Thus says Jehovah, be not afraid of the words which you have heard. So these are terrible words like, I am coming to destroy you. Look at everybody else that I've destroyed, and nobody was able to, to stop me. Isaiah says to Hizkiahu, don't be afraid of the words which you've heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Chapter 19, verse 7, behold, I will send a blast upon him. Remember he said in a single day he'll be wiped out. I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land. And I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So he's coming to Jerusalem. I'm going to get rid of him in a single day. He's going to go back to his own land and he's going to die there. Verse 11 of 19, 2 Kings 19. Behold, 
You have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly. And shall you be delivered? So again, this taunting. Have the gods of the nations delivered them, which my fathers have destroyed? So he's going back to uh, Tiglath-Pileser, to uh, Shalmaneser, and now this is, I believe this is uh, Sennacherib. And he's saying, look, my father's destroyed all these people, and now I'm in charge. And look at, look at this destruction. You think you're going to be helped? Real taunting. It's like these, um, you know, when I was a kid, Muhammad Ali, and he would always taunt and just, just talk and, and brag about all the people he knocked out. And so people would be afraid to get into the ring with this guy. That's kind of what's happening here. Like anybody be afraid to, to challenge him? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, which my fathers have destroyed, as Gozan and Haran and Rezaf, and the children of Eden, which were in Thalassar? Where is the king of Hamath? Think of the glory of the king of Arpad. Where is he now? And the king of the city of Sepharvaim, and Hena and Iva. Of a truth, Yehovah, this is Hezekiah. The kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands. This, all of this is fact. This is all true. No, none of it is exaggerated. It's all fact. And then, verse 21. This is the word that Jehovah has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you and laughed you to scorn. This is amazing. This powerful empire... The daughter of Zion is laughing you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head at you. Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? And against whom have you exalted your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Even against the Holy One of Israel. And Isaiah loves this way of referring to God. He's the Holy One of Israel. Israel is this corrupt nation that has broken the covenant every which way. And the Holy One comes from heaven as an Israelite, as a, as, a, as a Jew, to live perfectly by the Torah. He is the holy representative of Israel. And he's the one that completes the covenant promises. You, you're not blaspheming against Jerusalem or me, the king. You've blasphemed against the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says Jehovah concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city. And that's exactly what Isaiah was saying to King Ahaz. Don't partner with Assyria. You don't need Assyria. And then I'll give you a sign, Emmanuel. And Assyria will wipe out the north. And they'll come down to the south, into Jerusalem, but to the neck. They'll stop at the neck. They will not capture Jerusalem. There will be a, a, a remnant preserved. Because God says... For I will defend this city to save it. Sorry, did I skip something? Let me go back. Therefore, thus says Jehovah concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. For I will defend this city to save it for my own, for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. There's a covenant in play. And I, in fact, I talked about the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But there's also a covenant with David. So there's a covenant reality that cannot be broken, despite the, the, the corruption of these people. Despite the corruption, there's grace. And God will defend this city to save it because of his own sake, for his own name's sake, 
And Matthew 24 says, we're going to be preaching this gospel and we're going to be hated from all nations because of his name's sake, because we understand the operation of the Lord. We understand the work of the Lord and we understand the good news of the Lord by grace to the covenant people and for David's sake. And it shall come to pass, verse 35, that night, God says in a single day, I'll take care of this. It shall come to pass that night that the angel of Jehovah went out, or it came to pass, and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred fourscore and five thousand, 185,000 soldiers, powerful military, wiped out miraculously. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. So you wake up and you're ready. Okay, we're going to take the city now. And everybody around you is dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And, and he died there. So that is in a single day. It happened anciently. It's going to happen in the future as well. In Zechariah 12 and verse 6, there's going to be this whole military uh, uh, invasion of Jerusalem. And for David's sake, for his name's sake, because of his covenant, they will not be successful. And just the same way he, he empowered uh, Judah anciently, he's going to do it again. Zechariah 12, verse 6, In that day, in a single day, will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood. So all of these Gentile armies are going to be like wood, and Judah is going to be like fire, and like a torch of fire in a sheaf. And they shall devour all the people round about, on the right hand on, and on the left. This is going to be miraculous strength that is given to Judah. And Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. This is a covenant of grace that God has with Jerusalem. So yes, Meher Shalal Hashbaz, Sher Yeshuv. Back to Isaiah 10 and verse 18. And shall consume or destroy the glory of his forest. God is going to do this in a single day. And of his fruitful field, both soul and body. And they shall be as when a standard bearer falls. So you have an army and the standard bearer who's carrying the flag falls and nobody's there to pick it up, you've lost. And the rest of the trees of his forest shall be few or the army shall be few, so few that a child may write them. So this powerful military force is going to be completely wiped out and you're going to have a child that can count one, two, three, I think there's maybe 14 of them there. Isaiah verse 10, verse 20. And it shall come to pass in that day. <clears throat> in that day. That's a code language for the last days. It shall come to pass in that day. And let's just, I just want to read this in the Hebrew as well. Just show you something here. It shall come to pass in that day <clears throat> that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them. And if you've guessed it, the remnant of Israel, Shar Yashuv. The remnant of Jacob, Shar, so Shar Yashuv, Shar Yashuv, and the, the remnant of Jacob, Shar Yakuv. So he says here, it shall come to pass that the remnant of Israel, this is uh, here of Israel, and such are escaped of the house of Jacob, shall no more stay upon him that smote them, but they shall wait until Ahaz was staying upon Assyria. But no, they're going to wait upon Jehovah, the Holy One of Israel. And this is it here. Verse 21. Sher Yashuv. So first it was Meher Shalal Hashbaz, the, the terror is coming. And now there's the mercy. His hand is stretched out still. 
the remnant shall re return. That's Shar Yashuv. Even the remnant of Jacob, Shar Yakuv. So he says that the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. This is the mighty God, the, 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 the El Gebol. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, so Israel is this mighty, mighty nation, yet they're going to be wiped out. But that's, that's the anger. They're going to be wiped out. Yet a remnant of them shall return. That's the grace. That's the mercy. That's the Sher Yashuv. The, com the consumption decreed shall overflow it's really interesting to see how behind the English in the Hebrew are the two sons of Isaiah. Meher Shalal Hashbaz, Sher Yashuv. Anger is not turned away, but his hand is still stretched out because of the covenant. Well, the anger is not turned away because of the, the covenant, and the mercy is not turned away because of the covenant. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return, Sher Yashuv. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption, even determined in the midst of all the land. There is going to be destruction. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. So this, this is for God's people. And, and somebody today needs to encourage Judah and tell Judah when the Assyrian starts to raise up and start to take advantage of the fall of America and now the ability for them to flex their muscle in the Middle East, somebody needs to be telling Judah, somebody needs to be telling Jerusalem, don't be afraid. You know, speak comfort to Jerusalem. Your warfare has ended. All of this had a purpose. You just need to repent and accept Jesus Christ as Messiah. O my people that dwell in Zion, don't be afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite you with a rod and shall lift up his staff against you after the manner of Egypt. So just remember how you were oppressed by Egypt. But this is the work of God. God is doing this to you to drive you to your knees. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and my anger in their destruction. So the anger will not be forever. The mercy is coming. So don't be afraid of the Assyrian. You have to go through this. There's so much glory for you on the other side. Now, the Assyrian is throughout the prophecies. But in Micah, the, the Jews know the Assyrian is the problem. The, the Assyrian is the Antichrist. The Assyrian is the king of the north. And here in Micah 5, he says, And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come into our land. They're expecting him. They know prophetically the Assyrian is going to invade. When the Assyrian shall come into our land, and when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds and eight principal men. And we'll see, have to see how that unfolds. But the abomination that makes desolate is going to be driven by the Assyrian. And they shall waste the land of Assyria with the sword, and the land of Nimrod in the entrances thereof. For thus shall he deliver us from the Assyrian. So this is the this is the Messiah is going to come and deliver us from who? From the Assyrian when he comes into our land and when he treads within our borders. The remnant of Jacob, that's the remnant, Sher Yeshuv, shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass, 
that tarries not for man, nor waits for the sons of men. So God is righteous. He's going to put everything right. And the remnant of Jacob, the whole earth is going to come to the remnant of Jacob. Back to Isaiah as we wrap up here. Isaiah 10 and verse 26. And Jehovah Zavuot, the Lord of hosts, shall stir up a scourge for him according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. So the same way that he miraculously destroyed the, Mid the, the Midianites, this is what's going to happen as well. And his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. So the same way there was this massive exodus out of Egypt, there's going to be another exodus which is even greater. And so we need to look back what happened with Egypt because that's what's going to happen with the Assyrian. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Some sort of anointing, that's the Messiah. He has come to Aath, he has passed to Migron, Mishmash, he hath laid up his carriages. So he's on the move. They are gone over the passage. They have taken up their lodging at Giba. Ramah is afraid. Gibeah of Saul is fled. So as he's moving through, people are terrified. You know, when I was studying the, the Arabs, uh, and Muhammad was out slaughtering, he was like a month away and people gave up. It's like they just heard of how treacherous he was. They just gave up. That's what you're seeing here is people are just in a panic. Lift up your voice, O daughter of Galam. Cause it to be heard unto Laish, O poor Anathoth. So they are trembling. Madmana is removed. The inhabitants of Gebim gather themselves to flee. As yet shall he remain at Nob that day. He shall shake his hand against the mount. And all of this, this was amazing is, all of this is about to happen in sort of a hundred years from then. From the time it's prophesied, it all exactly precisely it happens a hundred years later. But there's a duality pointing to the end time when Christ actually returns to end it. Behold, so, and, and he shall remain at Nob that day. He shall shake his hand against the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, shall lop the bow with terror. And the high ones of stature shall be hewn down, and the haughty shall be humbled. Over and over and over again, we see this theme of pride, beginning with Satan, Adam and Eve, all the way through mankind, in the covenant people, and in the Assyrian, and in the Babylonians. Pride, 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 pride. And God just uses the pride in order to bring everybody ultimately to a place of humility. We voluntarily are going to that place. We keep these uh, days of unleavened bread every year to learn these lessons, to get rid of this pride, because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It has nothing to do with God. And so we have to check ourselves. Are we acting out of pride, human pride? I'm proud of my status. I'm proud of my skin. Uh, what am I proud of? This, this is the operation of Satan, this kind of pride. The haughty shall be humbled. And he shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon shall fall by a mighty one. So this sort of a metaphoric of the armies of the Assyrian will be completely cut down. So such an amazing uh, passage and prophecy. And this is the power of this uh, mighty prophet, Yeshayahu, who just, just faithful to God, challenging the kings of Israel, challenging the kings of Judah, uh, giving, encouraging the king of Judah, 
against this uh, Assyrian and, and living through many, many kings and having a very macro view of everything that's going on and encouraging faithfulness to Torah and to God. And so we can learn from his example. Uh, we certainly have our work cut out for us. And just the same way that we see here, as powerful as this global force was, it was no match for the Holy One of Israel. And that's who we declare. Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. God bless you, brethren. And remember, next week we'll do, uh, God willing, a live Q&A. So please come with any questions or comments that you'd like us to address. God bless.